millions of companies and workplaces around the world at this time have completed or are starting on their annual employee performance review or year-end appraisals where the employee's performance will be reviewed based on the previous year. Hey, their contributions, uh, productivity, involvement, achievements, etc. will be reviewed. It's also an opportunity where we can course correct, understand where we didn't hit the mark and what needs to be done to get back on track. It is important for anyone to know where they stand in the eyes of the one who reviews them. Infinitely more important is it for the Christian or the church to know where she or he stands in the eyes of our Lord Jesus Christ. How are they doing in their walk of faith? What have we been doing right? What have we been doing wrong? What are the consequences? Can we course correct? As a church here, as stated by Vijay, we will be starting a seven-week series on the seven churches mentioned in Revelation chapter 2 to 3, where Jesus Christ, the, the Lord of Lords, the, the King of Kings, the Son of God, addresses seven different churches. He starts with Ephesus and ends with Laodicea. It would seem in a clockwise motion of where each church is physically present. Now, each letter is addressed to a particular first-century Christian community in the Roman province of Asia. Now, although the message is related to the specific situations of those churches, Jesus expresses concerns which apply to all churches by praise and disapproval, by warning and exhortation. Christ lets you know clearly what he wants his church to be like in all places and at all times. All the letters close with the words, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So let's read Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, the first letter, the letter to the church in Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently, and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who, who, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Father, we thank you, O Lord God, for this precious day that you've given us. 
We thank you for this time where we get to look into your word and what your son has to say to us as a church. And we pray, O oh Father, that your words alone be preached. We pray that the Spirit will work in the hearts of all of us here. And we pray, O oh Lord, that the word would not be snatched away by the evil one. Help us, O oh Lord, for your glory in Jesus Christ's precious and holy name. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now I know you probably have a lot of questions here. Who are the angels? Who are the stars? Who are the lampstands? And most of your questions are answered in the previous verse in chapter 1, verses 20. It says this, As for the mystery, it's a mystery, of the seven stars that you saw in my right, right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. The lampstands represent each of the seven churches. And the star or the angel here, the word used in Greek is angelos, which could be both the spiritual, the angel, or a messenger. The leader, the pastor, when addressing the church, is addressed. We are the leader. But what is more important here is who is addressing. Who is addressing us? Here we have Jesus Christ. You know, that's what the book of Revelations is all about. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is not just about what was, what is, and what is to come. This is about who Jesus is, who, who is the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, who is, who was, and who is to come. Jesus Christ is portrayed the King of kings, the Lord of lords throughout all ages. He is the object of our love and devotion. You see, he, the picture painted here is of Christ walking in the midst of the seven churches. May I remind you, brothers and sisters, that in Bible-believing churches, Christ is there. Christ walks among the churches because it is his own church that he established on Mount Calvary with his own blood. He arose again on the third day to give us life so that he could dwell with us by the Holy Spirit. He walks among his church today. Christ is in this place today. We tend to forget that fact. And we tend to forget that he is the true judge. Jesus is the one who has all authority. The one who can give the perfect review. The perfect performance review. And this is a glorified picture of our Lord here. He is the one who rebukes. He is the one who commends. He is the one who rewards everything revolves around him. You see in Revelation a realization of God's holiness and the wrath of the Lamb in the book of Revelations. He is the one who holds leaders in his right hand and knows the details about each and every one in his church. So what should our reaction be when we come face to face with Jesus Christ the Lord? You know, we see a glimpse of this in Revelation chapter 1. You see how John reacts. John, he, he falls stunned and terrified before Jesus. Now remember, this is John 
the disciple whom Jesus loved. John is one of the ones who is always closest to Jesus, reaching out to touch him, straining to hear every word, and he catches and focuses for all of us the glorious love of God communicated in the Son. John, who spent three years with Jesus in the flesh and once had seen Jesus glorified in a cloud when he had been transfigured on the mountain, but even that had not prepared him to see Jesus as he was on that day. John, the apostle of love, these 60 years meets again the object of his love and his first reaction is holy fear. Seeing Jesus in his glorified state has such an awe-inspiring effect on John that all his muscles lose strength, his knees buckle, and he falls limply to the ground. You know, sometimes we have this imagery uh, where we are running into the arms of Jesus and he's got his arms extended. Or, or, or you know, <laughs> we, we have the song, you know, he's more than just a friend like the lowly Jesus. Let me tell you that. He's more than just a friend like the lowly Jesus. Or we sing the song, I can only imagine. Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or in awe of you, be still. Will I stand in your presence? Or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? And I can tell you the continuous tenor of Scripture looking at Isaiah and John is holy fear. I'm pretty sure my first reaction is going to be falling to the ground, my knees buckling still until Jesus' words calm us, until Jesus places his hands on us and says, do not be afraid then we remember we are his. We have to remember this. He is the object of our love. He is the one who ought to have our entire adoration. Jesus goes on to say this. He says he knows in verse 2 of chapter 2. The performance review has started. This introductory, I know, appears in all seven letters. He has perfect knowledge of his servants. And this knowledge is the basis of the praise and blame that he is going to now share. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. You see, the Ephesians here, they're comm commended for, for deeds of hard work and perseverance. You see, deeds are important to Jesus because he mentions them either explicitly or implicitly in each of the letters to the churches. The teaching of Revelation is in harmony with that of James. Faith without deeds is dead. See, they were faithful to carry on in the midst of a perverse culture that adored the goddess Artemis or Diana. They kept the church functioning for Jesus' sake. In verse 3, we see that. You see, the city of Ephesus was a very influential city in the ancient world. Although Pergamum 
was the capital of the province of Asia and Roman times. Ephesus was the largest in the province, having a population of 300,000. And the city importance lay in its political prominence, its economic drive. It had major trade routes. But here's the key thing. It was a center for the worship of Artemis. The temple of Artemis at Ephesus ranked as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The only one that lasts now out of the seven is the, the pyramids of Giza. But the temple of Artemis was one of the seven. So the church was in the midst of this highly fueled, intense uh, pagan religion. It was the center. People came far and wide to see, to worship this god Artemis. And the Ephesian church took its doctrine very seriously because of its strong emphasis on doctrinal purity. It was successful in discerning between theological truth and error. And Christ commends them. And he says, listen, I know you also hate the work of the Nicolaitans, as I hate the work of the Nicolaitans. Now, we don't know for certain who the Nicolaitans were, but according to the early church fathers, they were followers of Nicholas, one of the seven men chosen in Acts 6 to serve as deacons in the Jerusalem church. He apparently drifted from sound teaching and began advocating moral looseness in Christian lifestyle. They taught that Christians could engage in immoral behavior with no consequences. So the efficient church was commended for their diligence in weeding out all false prophets and apostles. They had an intolerance for wickedness. Jesus wants the church to know who they are in his eyes, where they've been successful, where they are lacking. And he sees their very thoughts and hearts. It's, he doesn't need a 360 performance review for those of you who know it, where he has to get people's thoughts, you know, the manager's thoughts, or, or the leader's thoughts, or the co-worker's thoughts. No, he knows. He knows it all perfectly. He doesn't need references. And he mentions this in verse 4. We talked about the object of our, lo our love, who ha it has to be Jesus Christ. And we talk about now the loss of our love. In verse 4, he says this, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. This is the next stage of the review. Areas for improvement. You have abandoned your first love. See, it's strong verbiage here. You have departed from your first love. You see, good works and pure doctrine are not adequate substitutes for that rich relationship of mutual love shared by those who experience for the first time the redemptive love of God. You see, the Ephesian church has forsaken its first love. The expression includes both love of God and love of humanity at large, but here it seems to refer mainly to the love the Ephesian church had for Christ. There's an equ it's, it's, it's equivalent as to saying you have divorced. Jeremiah 2, verse 2. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, 
I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. See, God speaks to the prophet to apostate Israel. I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me. See, the church that has lost its love for Christ is no different than Israel. We've pursued other things in our life where our garbage time is given to the Lord of glory. The scrapes of the day or the week or the month. Our time is not His. Our money isn't His. Our loyalty isn't His. Our energy isn't for Him. Our thoughts, our thoughts aren't, aren't on Him. You see, Matthew 10, 37, Jesus says this, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. It starts out with loving Christ more than you love anybody else, even those that you most naturally love. It's about loving Christ to the point where you're willing to take up your cross, where you're willing to lose your life, where you're willing to hate yourself and all your dreams and ambitions and hopes and desires. It's loving Christ singularly. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that it's the love of Christ that constrains us. It's the love of Christ that constrains us or controls us, or drives us, or, or motiv motivates us. See, the Christian life is about a heart attitude much more than it's about theology or, con or conduct. And that heart attitude is an attitude of love. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said at the very end of the Ephesians epistle, a verse that often gets overlooked. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ incorruptibly. How do you define a Christian? One who has an undying love, an undying, incorruptible love for Jesus Christ. Paul understood that. So did Peter. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1 verse 8, and though you have not seen him, you love him. And in chapter 2 verse 7, he says, he, says, he is precious. He was the cornerstone, the rock. He's to us precious. We love because he first loved us. You define a Christian by their love for God. And as we were rightly remembering today, 1 Corinthians 16, 22, looks at it from a negative side. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. There are really two kinds of people in the world, the cursed or the damned, and those who love Jesus Christ. Brothers, here are a few questions to find out if you've abandoned your first love, if your love for Jesus is waning. And so I plead with you, just listen to these questions. See, one of the most fundamental pillars of any relationship is communication. Whether it's parents and children, employers and employees, um, friends, husband, wife, whatever the relationship, communication is key. It needs to be there for it to be a healthy relationship. Has there been a time in your life where you spend time in prayer with the Lord more than you do today? Has there 
ever been a time in your life that you enjoyed reading and studying God's Word more than you do today? Has there ever been a time in your life that you enjoyed coming to church, fellowshipping, and worshipping with others more than you do today? Has there ever been a time in your life that you enjoyed getting involved in the ministries of the church more than you do today? Are there times where you rationalize your sin away by claiming to be fully human and easily giving into those things that you know that displeases the Lord? Do we yearn for heaven to get to the Lord more than wanting to get away from the inconveniences down here on earth? Are you more concerned about the things that concern yourself and your personal desires than concerned about Jesus Christ's desires? Are you less willing to be inconvenienced for Jesus than you were before? See, these are very simple questions, and the answers are very simple. However, the answers that you gave to these questions will tell you where you stand in your relationship to Christ. See, this was a problem at the church in Ephesus. They went to church. They they worked at church. They did what church asked them to do, and they played church. They knew doctrine. They would probably debate amongst each other about views, and they knew truth. They knew to pinpoint who the false prophets were, but their love Their love was lost for Christ. You see, it's very possible to serve the Lord for a variety of motives. For the praise of men, for prestige, position, for the sake of reputation. Because, hey, it's simply the thing to do. Because of a sense of duty. But John Phillips says this, If service for God is not born of a devoted passion for the Lord Jesus, it is worthless. We talked about the object of our love, who has to be Jesus. We talked about the loss of our love. But here's the beautiful step, the rekindling of your love. See, this is a beautiful performance review. You know, it it, kind of irks me when you have a review at work, and you get the negatives, and you don't know what to do with it. But here, Christ is so kind, and says, I'm going to give you what you need to do. The rekindling of our love. Our relationship with Jesus Christ is very much like a marriage relationship. I'm learning this every day. It takes commitment and diligence to keep the devotion of the heart strong. It doesn't just happen automatically. Christ tells us these steps in 5 verse 7. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Do you remember what your life was like back when you first believed in Jesus as your Savior? Were you on fire for the Lord, as they say? When you answered those questions that I I just asked, you were recalling the past. Go back and remember. What was it like when you heard the gospel truth? when it was first preached to you, when you realized how wretched of a sinner you are and how you need a Savior and how God, so gracious and merciful and loving, has sent His Son to die for us. Remember the time when you clinged on to that gospel truth 
and, and you had joy and hope and you sung. You sung even if you didn't know how to sing. And you shared the gospel even if you didn't know how to share. And you prayed and you read the words of the, of the Bible even though you didn't understand most of it. Do you remember? Do you remember? Now if your life before the gospel entered your life and after is the same, I think you've got a serious problem. Because the continuous tenor of the scripture is for the one who is now redeemed, he is a new creation. She is a new creation. Do you remember? Write your memories down and take time to pray to the Lord about the list that you've made. That is remembering. And the Lord says, repent. He says, if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. What is a lampstand used for? To shed light. So what does it mean to have a lampstand taken away? The light is taken away. The church, the Christian stops being the light in this dark world. They might as well be no different than the world, a sorry state to be. You see, although Jesus promises to build his church worldwide, he guarantees nothing to the individual congregation. In fact, here he is the one who, based on how we are, takes the lampstand away. Tragically, the Ephesian church ultimately succumbed and neither the city nor the church exists today. See, no love, no light. Ephesus itself is a heap of ruins. Except thou repent. See, Jesus has repeated this over and over again, twice at the least. Repentance is the thing that is absolutely necessary and at once. You see, Acts 19 is, I, I believe, the first time we see the mention of um, Ephesus. We see a glimpse of what repentance looked like. It says this, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish, Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greek. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing, and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted them value, uh, the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now you know the rest of the context. This is a center of pagan religion and Christianity, people turning to the gospel truth 
was causing the businesses there to lose money. The people who created the idols were losing money because people were turning to the gospel and they were repenting of their ways. 50,000 pieces of silver, silver, that's like, in today's day, someone working for 137 years, millions of dollars. They just burned it. See, repentance is not just your mouth saying something, I'm sorry. There's action. There's deeds. There is an outcome when you say, I am sorry. I repent. You're turning away and walking the other way. Matthew twenty two thirty seven, and he said to him, you shall, Jesus says to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. What does it mean to love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul? Something that causes you to do this. I will burn the things that keep me from the Lord. I will burn the things that take my attention away. Have you repented to the Lord? Let's say if, it is, if it's, the, it's the fact that you, you, you love watching stuff more than anything else. Netflix, have you actioned on it where you said, okay, I'm, I'm going to cancel my subscription or, or, or go to the lengths of asking someone to be your accountability, accountability partner. What lengths have you gone to show your love for God? What lengths have you gone? See, the challenge to all of us is to see the tenor of Scripture talking about what repentance is. In Acts 2, Verses 42 to 47, from the, the church started, you see the attitude of those who came to know Christ. It says, and they devoted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I'm going to pause here. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They didn't have the whole scripture with them. So where was the word of God? Whatever the apostles taught, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They wanted to know every single thing that was preached, every single thing that Christ wanted them to know, and the fellowship. To the breaking of bread and the prayers. Communication, hearing what God has to say, coming into his presence to speak to him. They devoted themselves. And you see that the gospel works mightily. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. When we were here for worship, were you glad? Were you praising God for all that he had given you? And so the real question to ask people when you talk about their spiritual growth or their spiritual condition or where they are in terms of their life is, how much do you love Jesus? How much do you love Christ? Are you growing in your love for Christ? Do you love him more now than you have in the past? Do you desire him more than, than you did in the past? Paul says that his desire is that he may know him. To know every thing about Christ, to grasp every reality concerning Christ, to know why he did the things he did, how he did the things he did, so that he could live the way Christ did. 
Do you love Christ where you want to know him in and out? Paul was driven to serve him, to exalt him, to honor him, to proclaim him because he loved him. This is consistent throughout Scripture. In terms of the definition of what it means to be a Christian, it is to love Christ supremely. See, brothers and sisters, there needs to be an authentic love for God that starts with God-oriented affections, desires, and thoughts. And that, in turn, changes the way we speak we behave, and, and the influences that we have in spending our money or how we dress and drive and, and our forms of entertainment, whether we're eating or singing, jogging or reading, texting or drawing, love for Jesus is to be in, in action and seen. Remember from where you've fallen. So our object of our love is Jesus Christ. There's been a loss of our love, and that is for each one of us to individually ask. But Christ has shown us a way to rekindle our love, which is by remembering, repenting, and redoing what we did before. Remember, repent, and redo. Do you see, Jesus is still tender in the aspect that he gives us an opportunity to, tr- opportunity to repent. He says, he who has ears, let him hear. That would seem to be a continuous call throughout this book of Revelation. You see, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The relationship isn't different because Jesus changed. It's because you did. He who has a year, let him hear. And this is a personal call to the individual. You know, they're, they're, I, I, whenever, I, whenever, I, whenever I read that p- portion of Scripture, I remember that f- how when I try to speak to Avia and she's so distracted by what's happening, like, the kids at a young age, it's so hard to get their attention. I have to get, atten- I have to get Avia's attention. I'm mean, like, look at me. And I'm asking her, look at me and listen to me. As her eyes look at me and she goes back and gets distracted by what's happening. I'm like, look at me. <laughs> Hear what I'm saying. See, Christ is saying, he who has a ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to all those in NLBC. Father, we thank you, Lord God for your word, which is so precious and true. Which declares to us magnificent truths. Which shows us the condition of our hearts and who we truly are. Father, the more we look into your word, we learn more about you and we learn a lot about ourselves. Father, we thank you for your generosity and your kindness on us and the fact that you call us to repent. We thank you for the fact that you know everything that we are going through. You know everything that we've done. You know the details of our heart. And yet you give us chances to repent. We pray, O Lord God, for this community here at NLBC. We pray, O Lord, forgive us as our attentions, O Lord, might waver. Our love for you, Father, has not been the same. And Father, we pray that we would remember that we would repent and that we would redo that which we did before. Help us, O Father, work 
in our hearts and in our midst for your glory, for your name's sake. And we thank you, O oh Lord, for your Son who has made all of this possible, our redemption, our adoption, and our hope for the future. For we pray this in Jesus Christ's precious and holy name.